Okay, good morning everyone. It's great to see you. We're in a series called The Doubters Club, a club that we've all been in or may be in right now. So today's topic is, Can God Use Me? Now, we all have been in or again in this club of doubt. Doubt comes in our minds for different reasons we mentioned the last couple of weeks. So one thing that happens to me, and I'm assuming happens to you, is uh, a, re- a result of that is what I call self-doubt. When I begin to doubt God, it causes me to doubt God in me or, or me. And so I know me better than anybody else knows me. I know the dumb things I've done, the things I've said I shouldn't have said, things I've thought that I shouldn't have thought, things I should have done that I didn't do. I know all those things. And so it's easy for me to think, well, you know, Maybe I don't even doubt God, but I doubt me, or I doubt what God can use me. So that's what I started your outline with. Why would God choose to use someone like me? Because he knows me better than I know me. And so I know all that stuff about me. He knows all that stuff about me, and yet he still chooses to use me. I feel often inadequate. Um, I don't know what you do for God, so to speak, but I get up and talk or speak for God. And going way back to when I was 17 and I felt God calling me, I said, no, I can't do that. I'm inadequate. And almost every time I get up to speak, can you imagine, even if you're teaching a Sunday school class or whatever you're doing, you are speaking for God. What, What kind of awesome responsibility is that? So you certainly don't feel adequate. I asked my small group, those of you that are parents, when you found out you were pregnant, did you feel adequate to be a parent? I know I didn't. When I got married, did I feel adequate to be a husband? I didn't have my parents' examples, more negative examples than positive. And so that was a real struggle. Um, when I first started pastoring, this was in, well, a long time ago. Anyway, Greenbrier Baptist Church. And the congregation was small, like this one, and I had two pastors, senior pastor, pastors older than me, more experienced than me, obviously, in my congregation. So I'm up speaking to a group of 30 people or so, and two of them, one of them was my wife's grandfather, who had pastored the church 30-some years before me. So they knew more about preaching than I ever knew, and I had to get up each Sunday and speak as, and they were in my audience, and they were very gracious. Uh, I, I thank, I thank God for that. Uh, but it's so many parts of life. It seems so easy to feel inadequate. Um, we just think of our mess ups, the bad decisions we've made, um, financial decisions, relationship decisions, even health decisions. And we think about the people we've hurt. Um, how could God use somebody like me that I've hurt this person, I hurt that person, I wasn't kind here, or I wasn't kind there? So I'm going to start it by looking at uh, something that Paul wrote in Ephesians, and it's really the basis of the gospel, and then I want to look, what he, look at what he said or wrote after that. This is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Most of, I don't know, most of you, some of you know this passage of Scripture. It's very familiar to you. God saved you and me by His grace. So God's part was offering it salvation as a gift. He's going to say a gift. And my part is to believe it. If I don't believe it, then I haven't received it. If I believe it, I receive it. Right? It's like if you offer me a gift 
and I believe you wanted me to, you have this nice gift for me, then I accept it. If I don't believe it, I wouldn't accept it. So that's what salvation is. And we all need saving. We're all lost or separated from God by our sin, by our uh, mistakes we've made. You can't take credit for this. He says this twice, all right? This is a key component of salvation is, all right, if I could earn it, if I could deserve it, then I could take some credit for it. God says, no, 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 you can't take any credit for it. I get 100% of the credit. All All I get credit for is messing up and sinning and, and so forth. God, you get all the credit for providing salvation for me. It's a gift from God. We sometimes say a free gift, but a gift should be free, right? If you give me a gift, I don't say, how much do I owe you? You say, no, it's a gift. It's not a reward for good things we have done. Okay, so it doesn't matter how many good things I've done. That doesn't factor in salvation. And all the bad things I've done don't, doesn't factor into salvation. It's simply by God's grace and if I choose to believe. All right? Again, so none of us can boast about it. Now, once we've received that salvation, what is our response should be of huge gratitude and thanksgiving, right? And as a result of that, as, as Paul's going to say later, uh, we are going to serve God or seek to serve God. Um, we're going to do good things, if you will but not to get salvation, but as a result of salvation. So right after Paul sets this foundation for uh, the Christian life, then he says something really interesting. For we are God's, what's the next word? What is it? Masterpiece. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. So all I am is a sinner come, <laughs> saved by God's grace, and God's saying, I am his masterpiece? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So he's, he's recreated us or he's remolded us. He's remade us into something that is a masterpiece. As a result of that, we can do these good things he planned for us long ago. So God, way back in time, had a plan to create you, create me, to invite you into his family, and then to use us for his glory. He has this plan. For me, it was to be a pastor for all these years. For you, it was something else. All right? And then we are to join him in, in this plan or following this plan. Now, this word masterpiece is an interesting word. It means literally a creation with a designed purpose. Now, this microphone was created with a designed purpose for me to be able to speak into it and then it connect with the sound system and to amplify my voice, right? Now, I could use it, try and use it for something else, but that's not what it's designed for. So you and I are designed with a specific purpose. We are a workmanship. The word, uh, actually in the Greek, looks like the word poem. <laughs> you are a, a, a literary creation of God, a beautiful literary creation of God. You and I are custom made. We're one of a kind. Now, what got me to thinking about, then how dare any of us disrespect anybody? Why would I disrespect you if you're a masterpiece of God? Why would you disrespect me if I'm a masterpiece of God? Now, the evil one, the devil, Satan, whatever term you prefer, he doesn't want us to think that we're masterpieces, right? So, what's he going to do? 
He's going to say, oh, no, you're, you're not a masterpiece. You're a screw-up. You're a mess-up. You, you, you can't do anything. So here's my response or suggested response for you. I was a mess, and I do mess up, but now I am God's masterpiece. There was an old bumper sticker, God don't make no junk. Remember that one? Some of you are old enough to remember that. So we are God's masterpiece. Now, again, but why would God use me? I've got all these shortcomings, failures, etc. Why would God use me? So I want to look at some uh, categories of people that God uses according to Scripture. So one group of people that God uses is I'm going to call it the unlikely. These are people that are unlikely for God to use. There's a whole bunch of examples. We'll just use one. So go back to the Old Testament. Um, Saul has been elected the first king of Israel, and he kind of was a mess up. <laughs> and God finally says, okay, I'm finished with Saul. I want you, Samuel, the prophet, who anointed Saul, the first king, to anoint a second king. Now, wait a minute. When you have a king, do you anoint another king? You don't do that, right? And so Samuel's response is what your response and my response would be. He said, whoa, 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 this could be dangerous. (laughs) I could get in trouble with the king. In fact, I might lose my life if I'm willing to uh, anoint a king when we already have a king. So God says, okay, Samuel, just relax. I want you to go to... Jesse's house, and one of his sons is going to be the next king, and you can do it under the guise of offering a sacrifice and invite them, and it'll be okay, all right? So that's what Samuel does, goes to Jesse's house, and that's where we'll pick up the story. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, that's the oldest, which is the obvious choice. And thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed, right? Evidently, he looked kingly or, or responsible. Um, and so, normally it's the oldest. So, Samuel looks at him and says, okay, God, this is probably your choice. All right? So, how many of you have seen the movie, Jumanji, the new Jumanji movie? All right? it, my mind works kind of weird, right? All right? So, this is what I thought of. If you see these characters on the screen, and you're going to pick the next king, which guy are you going to pick? The guy that's 6'6 six, six, or the guy that's 5'6? Yeah. The, the obvious choice is who? Of course, this, in this case, the rock. And so Eliab was the obvious choice as far as Samuel was concerned. But some of you know the story. And so what does, it say, what does God say to Samuel? But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. Not rejected him as an individual, but rejected him as the future king. All right. He might be kingly looking, he might be tall, but he is not my choice. Why? The Lord doesn't see things the way you see things, obviously, right? (laughs) He can see the inside. You and I can't see the inside. We can come to learn somebody's inside, but we can't see it. God sees the inside. People judge by outward appearance. I mean, at first, that's all we have to go on. As I get to know you, I can judge you on other things, but outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the inside. Um, This outside is not the significant thing. We all look different. But the inside is a really significant thing to God. The Lord looks at the heart. The the Lord looks at our our, our spiritual faith. The Lord looks at at our character. And for a king, you want a person of high character, don't you? I got to thinking, okay, we all spend lots of time on the outside. 
we, you know, some of us shave, not everybody shaves, but anyway, we shave, uh, ladies, you do your, your thing. Um, we spend a lot of time doing that, don't we? But how much time do we do working on, spend on the working on the inside? I don't know about you, but I felt a little convicted about that. Because that's what's really important, right? Our relationship with God, our, our faith, our, our character. So, as we're going to see, God specializes in what? Using the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. So, here's, here's what happens. Uh, Jesse has seven sons in the house, and he runs each one by, and God says, no, Samuel, it's not that one, not the second, third, fourth. It gets through all seven. He says, uh, starts scratching his head, um, Jesse, is this all the sons you have? And he says, well, the youngest one's out in the field taking care of the sheep. Obviously, his dad didn't think he was a potential kingly character. And Samuel said, whoa, we're not doing anything until we meet this guy. I meet this guy. David comes in, and God says, that's the, that's the man. That's the guy. Maybe he's basically a teenager. All right. So he was overlooked even by his family, even by his father. But God chose to use him. And the next time we see David, you know what he's doing? He's going to visit his brothers. They're in the soldiers. They're soldiers in the army. And the Philistines are, are taunting them with a giant by the name of Goliath. All right? None of the soldiers, including King Saul, would dare fight Goliath. Along came teenager David, and what's he do? Everybody knows that story, right? The most unlikely to fight Goliath fights Goliath and has a great victory for Israel. So, God uses the unlikely. And I think back when I was a teenager, it seemed really unlikely to me that he would choose me to the privilege to be a pastor all these years. And maybe why, what he's called you to. You've thought the thing. That's not really unlikely that he would choose me to do that. Another group of people God chooses to use is the insecure. The insecure. We're going to go back a little farther in the Old Testament. The Israelites have been overrun by the Midianites. And they've made life really difficult for the Israelites. Uh, they've almost kind of starving them, and they wouldn't give them any metal tools, or they had to come get them sharpened, and, and, and so forth. And so, an angel of God comes to a, guy, to, to a guy by the name of Gideon. And so, he says, Oh, great warrior, oh, great hero, this, this angel says to Gideon. Of course, he says, oh, well, that's nice. I'm going to be a hero? No, that's not Gideon's response. He says, if the Lord is with us, it's like us complain sometimes, why is all this happened to us? Why is this bad stuff happening to me? Why isn't my life easier? Why, does, why aren't things going better? Common complaint from all of us, right? Why is this happening? Because they're under... Sub Objection to this, this, uh, the Midianites. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? <clears throat> Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? All those miracles there. You know, if God is with us like he was them in Egypt, then we should have all these great miracles. Of course, they forgot about the 400 years of slavery before that. But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. <clears throat> so the Lord turns to him and says, the angels, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you, Gideon. And of course, Gideon says, oh, sure, I'm ready to go. Now, what happens is his insecurities 
outweighed God's affirmation of him, even being called a hero. Well, he can be called a hero, but I don't feel like a hero. I don't think I'm a hero, so I'm not ready to do this. And he even says it this way. But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh. So there's 12 tribes. Manasseh is one of them. My, tribe, my part of Manasseh is the least of the tribes. And then I'm the least in my family. So I'm lower than the lowest. But God said, I call you. He called me. He's called you to whatever he's called you to do. Could be a, a secular calling, meaning, you know, some of your school teachers, uh, where, where you work. It's a calling to uh, ministry, uh, teaching children, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, and like Gideon, we all tend to make, we call them reasons, but they're really excuses, right? Why I can't do that, right? He said, I can't do that. Uh, I'm not your hero, even though. You say, I am. And so we, we, we give it, when I was 17, I said, God, I can't get up in front of talk, people and talk. And I was calculating the other, yesterday when I was hiking. I have probably gotten up in front of people and talked at least 25,000 times. <laughs> That's a lot of times where somebody said he couldn't get, get, get up and do it, right? Uh, that might even be a low number. So we can make excuses. Does God accept our excuses? Well, I mean, if he has to, he does, but he, does, he insists that he's right and we're not. So if God, I put this on the outline, if God didn't want to use you, in my case, be a pastor, or your case, whatever it might be, the devil wouldn't be trying so hard to stop you. Ever think about that? And one of the big ways he tries to stop us is attacking our self-worth. I'm not good enough to do this, or I'm not capable to do this, and so... We try not to do it. We don't try to do it. This word confidence comes from two, I think these are Latin words, that means with faith. So when I'm lacking confidence, when I have self-doubt, I'm lacking in faith. So self-doubt is a result of spiritual doubt, right? So I put on your outline, real confidence, real confidence is when you put your faith in what God says about you. Now, we're not talking about a pride thing. Oh, I can do anything. Right? With God's help, I can do what I don't think I can do. For me, it'd be a pastor. For you, it might be something else. Two things to remember that you need in serving God. We all need to serve God. One is the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Don't do it in our own strength. And the other is the help of God's people. Ministry is not a solo act. Uh, we do it with the help of God's people. That's why we say changing together every Sunday morning, right? Changing together. We do it together. So, speaking of serving, if you're not serving, serving in your community, serving in your place of work, serving here at church, something's not getting done in those areas. And I'll speak specifically about the church. You have gifts and talents that God wants to use. And if you're not using them, things don't get done. Now, my wife corrected me on this. She said, well, sometimes people do them that aren't supposed to be doing them. And that's true. And they're not doing a good a, good a job as somebody that should be doing them. But that's possible. <clears throat> now, we often think about gifts, like speaking gift or music gift or whatever. 
But you know, probably the greatest gift all of us have is our time. Right? We all have it. And how we use, choose to use it. Are we going to use it to serve God and His church, or are we going to use it for something else? So Gideon, back to Gideon. Gideon learned that God often uses the least to do the most. Another group of people that God uses, and we're all in this group, okay? Those who fail. We all have been failures, right? And we'll fail in the future. Hopefully not at too serious of things, but we all fail. So we're going to go look at the early church. Church got started, and since it appeared to be an improvement on or an offshoot of Judaism, it became a problem to true Jewish people or religious leaders because Christians were saying Jesus was the Messiah. Other, other, most of the Jews didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. If you claim somebody's the Messiah that's not the Messiah, it's considered blasphemy, which is a huge sin in Judaism. And so consequently, the early church got persecuted right away. And so not long, we, if you read the, the text in the book of Acts, the history of the early church, uh, we get come along to a guy named um, Stephen, and he's not even a, a, one of the apostles, but he's a, a Jesus follower, and he's proclaiming Jesus, and he has this trial, and he does a great job of, uh, of sharing the gospel in this trial, and the more he shared about Jesus, the more upset the religious leaders got. And so eventually, since, what, what's the penalty for blasphemy? Stone to death, all right? So they got so upset, so irate, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And you ought to read it. He basically says like Jesus, prayed like Jesus. God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Amazing man. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. I guess you need it so they could throw the stones better. And... It's interesting, this guy by the name of Saul is mentioned. The text goes on. Saul was one of the witnesses. And we don't know if he threw any stones, but he was certainly there cheering them on, right? And he com- uh, agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He was all in. He was a fanatic uh, uh, Jewish leader. And again, that's a heresy. That's blasphemy. Uh, we got to get rid of this cult. We would call it a cult today, right? So a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, which turned out to be a good thing. What was the last thing Jesus said to this, to his, this crowd before he left this earth? Go where? All the world. Where had the church gone? Basically Jerusalem. So they hadn't obeyed. So as a result of this persecution, all the believers except the apostles were scattered to the regions of Judea and Samaria. So not willingly, but they carried out the Great Commission They were scattered. But what about this guy, Saul? Well, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church, destroy this heresy. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now, we've got to remember something. He he was a passionate God follower, or Jewish Jewish person. Um, He thought he was serving God. That's why he was passionate about it. 
And I got to thinking, sometimes when people are passionate about not following Jesus, we kind of think they're hopeless. You know, they're never going to come to believe. But no, that's the kind of people that God wants to reach because if they're passionate about not following Jesus, they'll be passionate about following Jesus. And so, as Paul looks back, and we'll look at that in a minute, as you and I look back at our life, there's times that we've blown it big time, right? Uh, I don't think we can blow it much bigger than going around killing Christians, imprisoning and killing Christians. So Paul has this dramatic encounter with Jesus, and he becomes a Jesus follower, and again, he becomes a passionate Jesus follower. And he starts churches, and he writes letters to churches, and Close to half the New Testament is stuff he, this guy wrote that <laughs> was going around killing uh, Stephen and other believers. So I want to read another uh, passage by uh, uh, Paul. He came to be named, changed his name to Paul. It <clears throat> tells us about the foundation of salvation. And then he goes on to talk about what we're t- uh, this issue of our doubts. I pass on to you, this is 1 Corinthians 15, which is most important. What's most important? He's going to tell us what's most important. And also pass on to me. Christ died for our sins. Again, we all are sinners. and We're going to die in our sins if somebody else doesn't die for us. Just as the scripture says, that's why we believe it or understand it. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day as we celebrate. Just as Scripture says, this was prophesied, right? And then he was seen by Peter, text goes on, and then by the twelve, including Peter, I guess. Uh, next slide, please. After that, he was seen by more than 500 followers at one time. So this wasn't just a couple people making the story up. Hundreds of people saw the resurrected Jesus. And at the time he was writing this, many of them were still alive. If, it, if they hadn't, they could have said, no, you're just, you're just making this up. <clears throat> of course, some of them had died. Then he was seen by James. Now, why does he mention James? James is the half-brother of Jesus, <clears throat> and he became a, a leader in the early church. But we know nothing about James before the resurrection. Now, if your brother says he's the Messiah, are you going to believe him? I have two brothers. I'm going to believe either one of them. All right? Some of you know my brothers. <laughs> That's why you're laughing. Uh, of course, they would say the same thing about me, right? But once you uh, die and resurrected, like you said, that, that, that gets your attention, right? And so James came to believe. <clears throat> then he says, last of all, <clears throat> last of all, uh, text goes on. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time. What is he meaning? Well, I wasn't born there when Jesus was walking on this earth. I wasn't able to walk around, around with the disciples and listen to Jesus and rub shoulders with Jesus. But I also saw him on the road to Damascus. So he describes himself as the least of all the apostles. Why? Well, maybe because he didn't see Jesus when he was alive. Or maybe because what? In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So if God's grace is great to you, 
How much greater has it been to me, uh, Saul, Paul? Because I was killing his children, fellow believers. So there's a sense of humility that Paul has now, right? Now, humility is not, I'm worthless. Humility is not me, but God. And that's what he's saying. So that's what it, we'll finish the text. It says this. But whatever I am now is all because of God's poured out his special favor on me or his grace. And he says, it's not without results. <clears throat> if anybody didn't deserve to be saved, it was Paul. He was going around killing Christians, right? Or Saul at that point. For I have worked harder than any other apostle. He had an, his experience with God's grace was maybe greater than the others. And so he worked harder. <clears throat> Yet not I, but God who is working through me by his grace. So God uses people who fail. You know why? Because there aren't any other kind. Is there? You can go through all through Scripture. You can look at Jacob. He was a, a liar and a deceiver. And he wound up fathering the, uh, his children were the 12, became the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He was a murderer. David, we already mentioned David. He was a murderer and an adulterer, an adulterer and then a murderer. We talked about Paul. Uh, Peter, we talked about, denied Christ three times. God used all these people in a great way. So I don't know what you've done and, and how you feel about your life. I know you've blown it because I've blown it. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I haven't done things I, some things I should have done. But God can still use you. And again, the devil. The devil will tell you, nah, God can't use you. You can't make a difference. And God can tell you in Christ, you can. So you are not what you did. You are not what people say you are or aren't. You're not what you think you are. You and I are what God says. So I finished your outline this way. Remember who God says you are. His masterpiece. And then there's a, uh, a doubting uh, text study. Let me post it for you. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, yes, we doubt you sometimes. And one way we doubt you is we doubt ourselves or what you can do in and through us. It's easy for us to say no or say I can't or I'm not capable or our list of excuses, I don't have time. But God, you don't accept those excuses. You know better than we know. You have a plan before we were born for our lives. And we follow that plan that brings great purpose and meaning to life, significance. And we thank you for that. So help us to understand when we are doubting self, we're doubting you. We're doubting what you can do through a flawed vessel that we truly are, but you know that. So God, I thank you for using each of us for your glory. I thank you for people like Paul and Peter you used. And then it goes back to our salvation. 
about the time we came to the place of realizing that we were separated from you, God, by our sin. We couldn't fix it. There's nothing we can do to fix it. And if we were to die that way, we'd be separated from you for eternity. We call that place hell. And God, you don't want any of us to go there. You don't send any of us there. <laughs> we choose to go there by if we choose to reject your gift. So I pray if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're hearing these words or seeing this, the day would be the day that you would say, yes, I believe. I accept the gift. And God will come and enter your life and renew you and give you a, a connection with him and forgive your sins and prom- give you a promise of eternity in heaven with him. We pray you to make that decision. And Father God, I thank you. Most of us are believers, but we're struggling with doubt at times, sometimes self-doubt. We pray that you would uh, bring victory out of that into our lives. And we could go like Gideon, even though he thought he was the least, he could be used by you for a great victory. We thank you for such wonderful promises, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.